of Romans. Amen. Woo, there we go. We got a new mic, folks. It's very comfortable, very comfortable, very soft. <clears throat> we'll text you about it later. It's great. Um, welcome to Renovation Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here, and we are uh, jumping right back into the book of Romans. How many of you guys are excited about that? We have, uh, we have been walking through Romans for quite a while and uh, taking some breaks, and we had some time over the holiday season and the Christmas season where we walked through the Advent series, and we just walked through a, a truth series dealing with one of our values and uh, answering some questions that we found through a survey. A lot of people had some theological questions, and now we're back into Romans 12. So let's, um, let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2 together this morning, and then we'll pray. Amen? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in it that you speak to us through it, that the God of the universe who created us, who created everything, would reach down into our reality, reach down into our world, and come as Jesus to, to save us, but also to, to speak to us through a written word that, that we can rely on, that we can depend on, that we can count on, that we can know this is God speaking to us about who he is, how we're supposed to relate to him, and how we relate to each other. You didn't have to do that, but you did in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I love graduations. I like to go to graduations. Anybody else? I mean, it's kind of fun. You go, uh, sometimes they're boring, but, but I like to see who the speaker is, and it's interesting, and it's particularly when it's people that you care about and people that you love, and you've watched them sacrifice and work for years, they, they come to a ceremony that you celebrate and they get handed a piece of paper that they're now going to pay for for the next 20 years, right? Um, <clears throat> but graduations are, graduations are fun to watch. But something interesting about a graduation that I always think about is here you have the, the pomp and circumstance and the celebration and hopefully a good meal, and you watch the person with the funny robe and the hat walk across the stage and finally get this piece of paper that they've been working towards. But that moment of celebration, that moment of receiving the, the, the degree is because of a whole bunch of stuff that happened before that moment, right? That moment in and of itself isn't the accomplishing of, of getting the degree. That moment is really because of, because of that night at three in the morning where you made another pot of coffee and wrote the paper. That, that moment is because of the things that you did, the requirements that you checked off, all of the things that led up to a moment that you now celebrate and receive the degree because of all the stuff you did, all the requirements you fulfilled before it, right? And, you know, to me, that was just the most interesting way 
of thinking about this massive transition that we're about to undergo in the book of Romans. You see, Paul uh, is now about to make a huge change in this book for the rest of the book. And it's important to really think about this word that we see in the first verse because it tells us something about how we're supposed to think about what he's about to say. Let me read it for you again. He's making an appeal here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. That's a huge word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, when we see that word, therefore, we recognize that it's not a, it's not a passive thing. It's not just uh, hanging out there in the air. It's, it's built on something. What he's about to say to us is an action that doesn't just kind of hang in the air, but it's, it's building your life on something. It's, it's basically saying, because of this, therefore, I want you to do this. And so we have to look back, and I know what's difficult about doing a series week to week as we, as we preach through a book of the Bible is sometimes it's hard to remember all the stuff we talked about before. But really what Paul is saying is, is from Romans chapter 3 to Romans chapter 11, I have been speaking to you, I have been preaching to you, I've been laying out for you the mercy of God, really boiling down in essence the grace of God needed for desperate sinners and in desperate need of my grace and my mercy. He's explained it, he's laid it out, he's theologically made an incredible case for the grace of God and the mercy of God and the salvation of, of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And now he's saying, therefore, by the mercies of God, do this. Amazing, isn't it? It really speaks to motive, and I don't think we can understate it. It really speaks to the why. I used to read this verse as, as a kid, and I remember this. This was a big popular youth group verse, right? And, and I remember reading this verse and thinking, present my body as a living sacrifice? Present, present my body as a living sacrifice. And, and as we think about that, it's like, all right, I, here's some things I want to do with my life. Here's the way I want to behave. Here's the way I want to act. And here's some motives behind it. I'd like to achieve these things. I'd like to accomplish these things. So now I'm reading in the scriptures that Paul's appealing to me to present all of that, my body, as a, as a sacrifice. And he's saying it's reasonable. This is my spiritual service, my reasonable service of worship. Why is it so reasonable? Why is it my spiritual service of worship to God for me to present my body, my arms, my legs, my organs, my mouth, my ear, everything, my, my physical body and everything that I do and who I am is really what it's alluding to. Why, why, is it for, why is it reasonable? Why is it my spiritual service of worship to present that to God as a sacrifice, as an act of worship? Really, the idea that, that our whole lives are worship now. Now... Now, your whole life is worship. Why? Why? Why is everything I do, everything I experience, everything I uh, have an objective to attain, why is it now reasonable 
And the thing for me to do to make that worship to God instead of my own proneness to worship myself and do my own thing. Why? Yeah, look at the beginning. I appeal to you, therefore, everything I just wrote, brothers, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, given what I've just told you about the mercy and the grace of God, your whole life is to be worshipped. That's what he's saying. Wow. This marks a massive transition in the book of Romans from being really the greatest theological exposition on the gospel to now, because of that, here's how I want you to live. Because of that, this is how you're to behave. Because of that, this is how you're to think and interact with each other and interact with me. And he's going to now begin from chapter 12 to the end to lay those applications, the practical implication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to begin to lay it out for us. Good news, amen? So now what do we do? What a powerful passage. What a powerful transition. What a, what a powerful um, motivator for us. Think about this for a moment. What is the motivation for the way we behave in what we do with our bodies? What is the motivation for our life, whole life worship? I think this is very important because Christianity doesn't always, particularly American Northeast Syracuse, New York, Christianity sometimes gets this all messed up and it's a foundational thing that we can't mess up. How many of you maybe grew up um, going to church or going to mass or, 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 or experiencing Christian doctrine where the motivation was, you need to do this, 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 and this so that God will be okay with you, right? If you behave this way, if you get up in the morning, if, you know, even in, in not just Catholicism, but in sometimes American evangelicalism, you got to get up in the morning, you got to read your Bible, you got to do your Larry Lee hour of power, right? That just dated me. Whatever it was, that was the 80s, I think. <laughs> that was... Um, you know, if you, if you do this, if you do that, if you pray, somehow you are going to achieve uh, God's favor on you and God will look kindly upon you if you accomplished it and you get up and you say, wait a minute, I didn't read this morning or I was rushed and I didn't get my prayer time in. How does God feel about me today? And the motivation of the Christian life has been falsely preached to be somehow if you do these things, you'll earn brownie points with God. Paul throws that on its face. That's, that's not what it is. God's already, or, or Paul uh, has already spent chapter after chapter after chapter laying out the fact that God in his sovereignty and in his, and in his favor and in his love and in his mercy has come and he has rescued and become our substitute and our propitiation. He has been the wrath-absorbing substitute for us and the wrath of God for all of sin has been poured out upon him as he died on the cross and saved us so that we don't have to experience it. And we are now, as we sung this morning, children of God, forgiven because of his mercy and because of his grace. You didn't do anything to earn it, but because of it, man, the response better be worship, right? 
I don't serve God every day to earn brownie points so that he'll like me. I wake up and want to worship him with my life because he's done it. He's already accomplished it. Because of his mercy and his grace, my response should be worship. When someone, you know, I, I remember this in Bible school. The fear of preaching the gospel, the way it's written in scripture, was always, well, you're, you're preaching greasy grace. You know, you're, you're preaching this, uh, this grace stuff. And, you know, I think if we preach greasy grace, people are going to just do what they want. That's nonsense. That's absolute silliness. A human being who comes face to face with the reality of the grace and the mercy of God, when God reaches down into a human heart and regenerates and enables us, as we preached last week, that first cry of a baby is faith. God, as he regenerates a heart and you respond with faith and you recognize that the God of the universe has been your substitute and saved you and there's nothing you could have done to save yourself and he's picked you up and cleaned you off and made you his child, nobody comes face to face with that and responds by saying, oh, hey, thanks, I'll do what I want. No. The only response is a life of worship that responds and begins to grow in faith begins to see God accomplish what he began as he started a work in someone's life. Amen? It's important for us to get this order right because of, by the mercies of God. Respond. Response to that is life worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's take a look at that. Therefore, We're building our life on something. We're building our life on a reality. We're building our life on the implications of the gospel. Really, Paul ends chapter 11 with a doxology, and then he appeals based on that foundation of God's mercy. And he turns the corner uh, from his exposition on God's saving work to now the response to God's grace that should be elicited from believers So the mercies of God are really laid out. Really, the the next kind of implication of this is that we would, because of the mercies of God, we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, the sacrifice language is interesting here because you think of a sacrifice as something that's dead, right? Uh, You know, they literally, Old Testament sacrifices, they, you know, they open the animal up and it bleeds out on the altar and it dies and it's something that's dead and then the priest would consume it and it would be gone, right? That's a sacrifice. But Paul, you know, maybe for fear of people engaging in, in that type of sacrifice, he, he qualifies it. He says, you, you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You're, this, is not, this is no longer the killing of an animal. One has died for all. And therefore, all of that, Christ is the final sacrifice and has risen from the dead. And now we're to present our bodies. And he really talks about the same language as he did in Romans 6. It's, it's, your, it's your, your, your arms, your, your, your legs, your sexual organs, your ears, your eyes, your mouth. Everything is to be put on the altar as a living sacrifice of worship to God in the way that you utilize them. Romans chapter 6 talked about 
in 12 and 13, not to give your bodies or your members over. Remember preaching about this. If you were here, uh, you don't give your bodies or your members over to sin and unrighteousness. And there was this idea of don't give your, your behavior, your actions, your members, your, your arms, your legs, all of that over to sin and unrighteousness. And now we see in Romans 12, Paul using the same language, and he's saying present your body as a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. In the way that you do things, in the way that you engage, all of life is, is a spiritual service of worship. And it's not speaking of, of God's spirit, but, but our worship is undertaken by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, something's changed. If you remember John chapter 4, when Jesus sat with the woman at the well, something has transitioned. And he said to her, you know, it's not about where you worship not about worshiping in Samaria, it's not about worshiping in Jerusalem, and it's not about how you do it, but it's about you worshiping in spirit and in truth now. And there's a reality to the way God's called us to respond to his grace and worship that there would be a spiritual service of worship in our hearts, a reality and a truth and a spiritual worship towards him. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we worship him, not just when we sing, but that too, not just when we read the scriptures together, but of course that too, not just when we pray together corporately, but of course that too, but all of life, when we walk out of this place, the way you treat your wife or your husband, the way you raise your kids, the way you work in your workplace, the way that you eat dinner, it is worship to the Lord who gives it, amen? That's what he's saying. You know, if we go back and take a look at Romans chapter 1, we see uh, this warning to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, where we see that, that people worship the creation instead of the creator, right? And here what Paul's saying is, in Romans 12, he's saying, because of the grace of God, because of the mercy of God... You, you can experience creation and what it should lead us to do who are saturated in the gospel and whose minds are being transformed and not being conformed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what, what worship should do is it should roll past the creation to the creator. Amen? So what, what, are, what are we prone to do in our sin? Worship creation. I mean, food's probably the easiest illustration for me. But think about it. Like, you sit down and you have a nice dinner with friends. Man, I'm just thinking about chicken riggies right now, right? <clears throat> chicken riggies, I'm convinced, are a substance that was least affected by the fall, right? It was probably, it was probably in the garden. <clears throat> so you get some nice dinner, some chicken riggies, a nice glass of wine. You're out with friends. You're enjoying fellowship. You're enjoying dinner. And, and you could go home and you could lay in bed and think about how wonderful the chicken riggies were and how good the wine was and how good the fellowship was and how good the friends were. Or, as a believer who's saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could say, thank you, God, for the fruit of the vine. Thank you, Lord, for, you know, I'm not eating ramen, but you provided finances that I could, I could have a nice dinner, that I could experience friendship, that I could experience an evening like this, not because of what I got to eat, but because of the one who gave it to me. That seems so trivial, but it's not. 
It's how he's called us to live in response to the gospel. So worship the creator and not the created stuff. When we're blessed by incredible things, the, the, the danger, the danger is to want more stuff, is it not? Really the fallen condition of our, of our sin, sinfulness. And, and you know what's interesting is I just think about my own life as I check my heart. In every level of blessing that God's given me, I remember when I was in my 20s, Trish and I were just married. We were, I got a job right out of Bible school as a youth pastor at Believer's Chapel, and we were living at cobblestone apartments, and I think I made like 20 grand a year, and I felt so blessed. I had never seen that much money in my life, you know? <laughs> I could pay for my apartment. We could go out to eat. You know, we could hang out with friends. This was amazing. I didn't have to ask my parents for money, even though I still did. <laughs> and then, you know, things happen in life. You know, get a different job. Excel in your career. Went to law school. Get a better job, and you're making this. And get a better job, and you're making this. And get a better job, and you're making this. And, 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 and all, you, know what, you know what I've realized in my own sinfulness? Is that the more I get the more I want. And it's like, wow, I can afford these things, but wouldn't it great, be great to afford that? And wow, I can, and, and I live in a, in a world now in, in my vocation and stuff that I've gotten to know some people that are incredibly wealthy, know some people that, that have millions and millions of dollars. And you know what the people who have millions and millions of dollars want? More millions and millions of dollars. I wish I could buy a plane. And, I, and we are so prone as Romans 1 says, to fall into our sinfulness of worshiping creation instead of worshiping the creator with everything we have. Living our lives in light of the gospel with open hands that just says, God, you've given me everything. You've redeemed me. You've saved me. How can I take the resources at whatever level they are and, and leverage them for your kingdom and live generously with an open hand because I didn't do any of this. You've given it all to me. That's a life of worship. Considering the mercies of God, present everything, your bodies, your whole life is an act of worship. God, how can I worship you with my resources, worship you with my time, worship you with, with my gifting? There's some, some people here, as, as we talk about our values and how God shaped you and, and worked in your life, you're very, very good at things that God's gifted you in. How can you worship Jesus with those things? Some people, it's not even just spiritual gifts. You've been born with the capability to do something. You've just been born good at it. And you could use it for yourself. You know, there's things I know I'm not good at. I talk to people who are good with cars. It, it amazes me. I can change the washer fluid. I can add the washer fluid. I can do that. I was in Bible school, and some girl uh, started her car, and it made a terrible noise. I'll never forget this. It was, made an awful noise, and we were all standing out kind of in the yard area by our dorm. And she said, hey, can you guys come over and look at it? And I actually looked at her and said, yeah. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? She popped the hood. I lifted it. I looked. I stood there and shook my head like I might have an idea of what I was looking at. 
I, I might have even said something. Like, I think it's the rotors, or I, I don't know. Like, there's <laughs> no ability whatsoever. My wife is just an incredible student. Like she, you know, I, I went to undergrad, I went to law school, I struggled, I studied, I worked as hard as I could sometimes. My wife, she, she like, she was in nursing school, and, and I used to always laugh at her because I'd come home and she would be stressed out. Oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. I got this test. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to accomplish it. This is going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. And I'm like, Trisha, stop. Stop. Because you're going to ace it. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. 4.0. You know? you know, she got one B, I think, in all of her educational life. And she still would argue why the professor was wrong, right? That she, she, she's just 4.0. It's, it's just, she's just good at it. Good at studying good at figuring it out. You know, God has given me particular gifting, and as I've walked through those things in my life, um, you know, whether it be communicating or leading or doing different things that I feel like, you know, when I'm in a group of people and people are talking about how to get something done, I feel like I can kind of step up and say, this is how we should do it, and this is where we should go. And vocationally in life, that has maybe been something I could utilize, but but what God's called each of us to do in our lives is as we pursue life and, and what we're going after is to sit down and say, God, how can you use this for your glory, for your church, for your people to build your kingdom? God, leverage me, spend, spend my life to build your kingdom as an act of worship to you. Because you know what I could do? I could use my gifting and I could use my capability and I could use the, the ways that God has blessed me to to build my own kingdom and to make as much money as I possibly can and to maybe someday, you know, retire and go someplace warm and, and you know, and just and chase a white ball or do whatever it is. Or I could, I could respond to the reality of the grace of God in my life and do something actually worthwhile for the kingdom of God. So what this takes is verse 2. I really believe verse 2 is the explanation for the symbolic nature of verse 1. So it's present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. And then listen to this. He used that word acceptable again, and it really connects these. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind that the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and is perfect. So what does it mean to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Really, there's a call here to us that I think is so relevant. It's, it's that the word of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ would renew and transform our mind in the way that we think so that we then know how to live in an acceptable, worshipful way. Really believe that that's Paul's appeal to us. In consideration of the mercies of God, what we really need to do is spend some more time considering the mercies of God. What we really need to do is we really need to together get into the word of God and realize what does it say? What does the gospel mean? How do I get up in the morning and, 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 and let my mind be conformed to, to, to his word? I love the psalmist in Psalm 42. And really, as a young man, I'll never forget 
hearing uh, C.J. Mahaney preach on the cross of Jesus Christ. And one of the things he appealed to, to uh, so many thousands of people as this message has gone all over the world as he preached on the cross, what he appealed to us to do is, is preach the gospel to yourself every day. That was his admonition in that message. And that's been such a life-giving thing for me, to wake up and to preach the reality of the gospel to myself every day. You really see it in, in the psalmist in Psalm 42. I love it because he's arguing with himself and he cries out, why are you so downcast, O my soul? And then he responds with, I'm going to hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And you see the psalmist crying out and really preaching the reality of the hope and the salvation of his God to himself while his soul is downcast. Be conformed by the renewing of your mind. As you experience difficulty, as you're downcast, as you walk through things, as you get up in the morning and think about, what is my day supposed to accomplish today? Preach the gospel to yourself. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Get to know the law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 declares, so that you become that tree that's roots are dug way down deep into the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that regardless of the weather, the winter, the summer, the heat, you got something underneath you that's tapped into a source that enables you to know how to live in worship. Amen? It's really the thesis of the Psalms, and it's really what Paul's getting at, is that Psalm 1 idea that you love the law of the Lord, so you look like that tree whose leaf never withers, because it's not about how nice all the stuff on top looks. It matters what's going on deep down underneath that nobody else sees. That's what makes the difference. Where are your roots drilled into? Are you into the river of living water? Or are you just worried about how you look on top? Because he talks about that too. When the wind comes, guess where you're going? Wherever it takes you. But if you're tapped into the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're letting the reality of the gospel renew your mind and change your mind and change your perspective. Remember the, maybe, remember the psalmist Asaph who was in a place, I believe it's Psalm 78, but I could be wrong, he's in that place where David and Bathsheba had just fallen, and, and he's discouraged. The psalmist writes that, that he's looking at all these people around him in the world, and he's becoming jealous, and he's saying, you know, I, I, I'm jealous of them, I'm envious of them. Did I keep my hands clean and my heart clean in vain? Because it seems like those who don't serve God and do whatever they want, they just seem to be able to get their fat with food, they get to do whatever they want, and his perspective was so jaded. And then in verse 17, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. And he responds for the rest of the psalm with worship, and he says, when his perspective shifted in the sanctuary of God, he began to say, thank you, God, that every step may not be my last like them, that they walk as if they're on slippery rocks, but my feet are sure in the foundation of who you are. And the psalmist begins to worship instead of feeling jealous, 
Why? Because he was allowing his worship in the sanctuary of God, the hearing of the word, the hearing of the gospel, to transform his perspective. Some of you, maybe you've forsaken the consistent assembling of ourselves together as we read and worship and, and study the word together. Maybe you have been a detached or distant from a body of believers who can encourage you in the word of God. Maybe you've just been trying to kind of go it on your own or do your own thing. And, and, and I believe that, that as Paul appeals to us in Romans chapter one, he's saying, don't let your your mind be conformed to the, the perspective and the thoughts of the world is going to lead to destruction, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the reading of the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be in a place where you hear the word. Amen? When I come into this place and I hear the preached word and we read the word together and we sing the word together and we do a call to worship and we do a benediction and we, we read about an assurance of pardon, every single week I think to myself sitting right there, my mind is being, is being conformed to the, to, the, to the image of God. I, I, something is changing in me. I'm, my perspective is different now when I come to worship with the people of God. Amen? We need that. Preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. Get into the word. Get into the word with us together. And here's what's going to happen. The more and more you and I pursue the gospel together, dive into the depths of the reality of what Christ has done for us together, the more you and I are going to change and the more you and I are going to then begin to live lives of worship. What it should result in is a bunch of people so grateful for the grace of God together that we treat others differently, that we love that we, that we challenge ourselves to treat our spouses differently, that we challenge ourselves to raise our kids differently, that we challenge ourselves to work harder in our vocations and to live out the gospel in the lives of, of, of everybody in our circle so that they see that, that we belong to Jesus because of the way we love each other. And that only happens because we know more and more and more about how God has loved us. Amen? Let's, by the mercies of God, live whole lives of worship. Because of the grace and the gospel of Jesus, let's worship him with what we do every single day. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you this morning, and we worship you because you are the only one who deserves to be worshipped. Help us together to learn more and more about why that's true, so that our lives will become lives of worship. Everything we do, everything we experience, everything we enjoy, that it would lead us to you, to look to you, that we wouldn't worship the counterfeit of things, but we would only worship the maker of those things. That we wouldn't, so to speak, spend our lives in the kiddie pool but that we would jump into the ocean of joy and love and, and grace that is you and worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.